addiction. It plagues everybody, athletes, non-athletes, addiction, whether it's drugs, whether it's gambling, whether it's gaming, whether it's eating, whether it's pornography, addiction exists and it affects everybody. And today on the show, we're going to be bringing on a guest who's going to share his experience with addiction. He's going to be giving us the insight, the details of what he went through and how he's helping others overcome theirs. This is an important episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Guru! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you, as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with you guys today for yet another interview on the show. A couple of housekeeping items to, to get through right now. I want to make sure that you guys are subscribed to the podcast so that you guys can hear all the interviews that come through here on this platform, including today. So make sure you go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, what they call it now. Um, go to Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and make sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're following me, all right? I would love for you guys to... Uh, Check out the podcast, and if you can, leave me a review, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are super, super helpful. Um, they help the podcast get out to more people. That's why we're in 92 different countries as of right now, and so we want to keep that going. So if this is your first time ever listening to the show, awesome. I'm excited to have you guys here. Just leave me a review. That's all I ask. Uh, another thing that I've, I've been working with as of lately, um, and it, it'll, it'll be cool to have this particular interview because there's a company I'm working with called Connection is the Cure here out of Idaho. Uh, we're going to have Alex Boyer coming to Idaho on January 5th. So make sure to go follow Connection is the Cure on Instagram. Find out more about this. It's suicide awareness. Um, it's, it's an amazing cause. And um, yeah, the person who's running it, I have a really good connection with. So I want to make sure that all those who are listening, especially those here in the Valley who might be able to attend this free concert with Alex Boyer um, here in Nampa, Idaho, at the Idaho Center on January 5th, make sure that you guys go follow them and find out more information on it. So Connection is the Cure is the name of the Instagram page. Now, for the bread and butter of the conversation, now we're getting into the good stuff. Joining me today as we discuss addiction and we discuss that and, and how it relates to sports and everything, which is a pretty touchy topic, uh, but we're bringing in somebody who I feel is, is perfect for this discussion. Uh, he helps in this field. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit more with Mr. Brock Bevel from Chase the Vase. And Brock's going to be joining us to share his, his knowledge, his expertise with us. So Brock, thanks so much for joining the show, brother. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. Dude, I, this is the first time I've been on a podcast like this, man. So this is cool. Oh, yeah, man. This is sick. Oh, this is going to be great. And this is the first time we've actually talked about addiction. So first first timers right here for everything. It's going to be a pretty solid combo, man. Um, Brock, tell us a little bit about, so the listeners can get a background of you, um, at least from the sports perspective. What are your connections in the sports world? And what, what do you understand about the sports world? Because uh, rumor has it, you have a few connections here and there. Uh, you might know a thing or two about, about sports. Yeah, man, I love sports. Played uh, played college football up here in eastern Arizona. When you said the Valley, I kind of giggled. I thought Phoenix was the only <laughs> Valley available, you know. But, uh, yeah, played here in Arizona. Man, my uh, – was on a state champion baseball team. Uh, Arizona's got the phenomenal baseball. Everybody comes here to watch the summer, so you understand that. Um, I also have – my dad was a longtime football baseball 
basketball coach in Arizona. He coached us from little kids. Uh, probably a, probably one of the legendary. If you lived in lived in Arizona, you know Coach Bevel. And then my uh, older brother, who's two years older than me, has uh, was a a standout at the University of Wisconsin. Played quarterback Daryl Bevel won the Rose Bowl back in I believe it was '94. First time Wisconsin went back to the Rose Bowl, and since then, man, his career just kind of took off. He uh, what what people don't see is they see where he's at today and be like, oh, I, man, he just He's in the NFL, but that dude, if you want to talk about grinding and grit and tenacity, he went through it. He started his career just real simple in Green Bay, coached Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, then went to uh, Minnesota, took Brett with him, then was in Seattle where they uh, drafted Russell Wilson, won the Super Bowl, also lost the Super Bowl. He was the offensive coordinator, of course, you know, take some ownership of it. And uh, then he goes to then he goes to uh, Minnesota or uh, Detroit for three years, and now he's in in Florida with Urban Meyer, and it's just what a cool experience, you know. So I know a little bit about uh, football and some sports vicariously through just watching it and being involved in it all my life. Man, did you go? Did you play at EAU? Is was that the little? Did you play there at EAU? Is that where you were at? In yeah, it was, it was Eastern Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, we're the Gila monsters, brother. Dude, so what's so funny about that, and I'm pretty positive, is that a junior college? It is. Okay, so I have a friend of mine, a girl I dated all through high school, right? She went to EAU. So that's the only reason I even knew EAU. And then when I served a mission, I um, somebody in the MTC played baseball at EAU. And I was like, oh, I never even heard of this place. And now I've got two people that are connected there. Now they're, you're a third. So super interesting. I actually paid close attention to that school because the girl I dated in high school uh, went there and um, very interesting because they do have some solid sports programs. So that's actually yeah. really cool. <laughs> well, so let, let me give you a little glimpse, man. They did. They actually canceled the football programs in Arizona for all of uh, JUCOs. So we had years because it had to have been within the last 10 years. Right? Yeah, it was actually within the last two years. So oh, okay. Arizona, we incorporated, we had a uh, Dixie and snow when Rick's used to be in there. Uh, Arizona military Pima. So we had all dude, the football programs at these schools got the elite of the elite. It was like a D one division. It was crazy. Those are some pretty solid schools too. Like when you're talking about snow college, they, they're very, they're infamous for putting out some solid talent out of the Juco system. So that's cool though. It's just cool to hear that. I didn't know that prior to the, to the interview. So just a little, uh, side note there. So, uh, Brock, you got, you know, obviously, Brother is in you know the NFL world right now. Got a lot of experience grinding and hustling through the whole spiel. So you get to kind of have that connection and see that. Um, that's that's probably a good thing and probably a little stressful as a little brother, I would imagine at times, right? You said you know lo losing the Super Bowl. Talk to us about that as being a brother of somebody of that magnitude. You know the ups and the downs. Does it stress you out at all, or do you kind of just stay away and separated from it? I do. I step. I separate. You know, I just try to be a good support system. Um, I, I, I'm not a, like, it's crazy. I don't have an NFL football team. I support where he's at. I support Daryl. And, uh, I just, when he lost the Super Bowl, I was like, what a great learning experience. And I actually, it was kind of interesting after that. I went to Utah where he, where he resides part-time and, and sat down with him and talked to him. And he doesn't like talking about it much. Um, don't know really why. I just think he's moved past it. You know, it's been a year, it's been years in the past, but, I did ask him, Hey man, if you had a chance to do it again, would you, would you change the play? 
Because that's what everybody asks. There's been, I don't know if you know this, Shane, but there's been dissertations in college written about this play. <laughs> it's not surprising. I didn't know it, that, but it's not surprising. It's crazy. Like the re- And if you Google it, you have people on both sides of the spectrum. What a terrible call. What a great call. Bad throw. Good throw. It really doesn't. You know, in the end of the day, it's, it's a sport. And it really doesn't matter except for, to them. Right. Like yeah. to him, it's personal. Had he, you know, one back-to-back Super Bowls, but now that's what he, I mean, that's on his resume, which in my opinion, as a younger brother and seeing where he's pivoted from it, I think it's just adds to the coldness of his story. You yeah. know, talk about tenacity and grit and, you know, we see all these ups and downs in sports. It's just one of the low points of the sport. You know, that's all peaks and valleys, man. That's, man. that's sports and life in general. There's peaks and valleys and, you know, you're without that though, right, Brock? We, if we don't have the peaks and valleys, you have a flat line, and in the medical industry, that's 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 not a good thing to have a flat line. You want the peaks and valleys; it's a heartbeat. So that's the reality of the situation, right? Um, and talking about this, you know, like it, he would be a cool conversation, but I'm sure like you don't want to be bringing that up every five seconds at the dinner table. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you move past that. I was just wondering, as a family member, it would probably be, you know, if something happens to my sister, like. I get like defensive for her on her behalf, you know? So it's kind of like one of those things that stresses me out on behalf of other people. So that's why I asked that. But now getting into your story, Brock, this is why, like, I mean, this is the, the reason we want to bring you on is to get to know your expertise and, and why we said addiction. So people are probably listening to this. We're like almost 10 minutes in there. Like addiction. We haven't talked about addiction. at all. we just learned about the sports history of everybody addiction. Where does this even come up and how does this even relate to sports? This is where I want to un- unpack a few things and, and get to know, like unbox it and get to know Brock Bevel. Um, get to know what you're about and and know your history and why addiction is such an important piece to your life in, in the sense of like helping people with it. So let's do that. Let's, uh, let's unbox a few things and get to know you a little bit better. So talk to us about this addiction. Why? You know, you, you opened up the podcast talking about suicide, you know, and, and we're seeing these, these words starting to float and, and make some changes. You know, I don't know if you have, you been paying attention to, the NFL, but two NFL players just came out. We're talking about some addiction related um, information in their lives and, and mental illness. Uh, Lane Johnson. And I believe his name was Calvin Ridley, these two guys. And they actually did a Fox sport with Terry Bradshaw and they start talking, Oh man, you had mental health issues. Oh, so do I. And, and when we start talking about it, it becomes, it's like, I hope you give give me a second, but it almost feels like addiction is this monster that's under our bed. And as long as we pacify it and we feed it, it's going to stay under there. But sooner or later, you have to talk about it. You have to, we're as sick as our secrets. So we're seeing all these explosive episodes with, you know, Zach Stacy last week involved with his girlfriend. Then you see uh, the the wide receiver from the Raiders, uh, Henry Rugg, right? And so you're seeing these things. You're like, why, why are we now just seeing it? And the problem is we're not. These things are probably been happening in their lives. There's been red flags leading up to this, but it's such a, such a topic that's difficult to talk about that we need to. So for me, I, uh, I was a Mesa police officer worked in as as an undercover detective. Uh, I mean, I knew everything about drugs, bought and sold and, and did buy bus. I mean, you name it, we were involved. What you see in the movie, I've done that. And which, which was cool, right? As part of it. Well, what happened was, I got run over in, in the, in work at work. I, uh, I got struck, man. This lady was prostituting her daughter 
in exchange for drugs. She wanted to, Hey, I'm going to give my daughter to you for, to this bad, you know, a, a drug dealer for drugs and you can go have sex with her and then bring her back to the car. And then I'll, you know, I'll go home and use. Wow. Like, yeah. Like you think, what the hell dude? Like, how do we as parents, how do we as, as individuals get to this level? And I never could comprehend, you know, I have daughters, man. And so I'm like, how could I, as a parent, get to a point to where I'd prostitute out my daughter? Like, would, would my rock bottom ever be there? Well, because of my injuries of being struck by the vehicle, they retired me. And this was my biggest blow. And, and I don't know if you know Max Hall very well. Max Hall was an NFL football player from, he played BYU, went to Arizona Cardinals, and I podcast with Max every Sunday. And I say that because he went through the same thing with, with the NFL. When he left the NFL, when I left the police department, our identities stayed there. Right. Like we didn't get to take these identities home with us, right? Because I was a police officer. I'm not anymore. So two days ago, I was a police officer. Now I'm home changing my baby's diapers. Living a life like a, like a full-time dad, which there's no, no disrespect to that. But that wasn't what I was used to. I was used to living like Nitro Circus, chasing bad guys, high-speed pursuits, shootings, all these things. And all of a sudden, the next day... Like Max said, he he was retired. And there I am. I no longer wear the uniform, no, no longer wear a gun and a badge. Now, what do I do? And I look at some of these athletes that are going through this mental illness. It's a case of, of like, my identity's gone. So who am I? And I noticed that the more I got out of it, the less and less I made contact with my guys and depression and sadness and isolation started setting in. I started medicating with opioids because I could, listen, I could lie to you. I could say, what are you talking about, Shane? Look, I, I have, I have injuries, man. I limp. I have multiple surgeries. I've had, you know, scars all over me. What do you mean I'm addicted to this stuff? And so I could talk it off. And I, during the process, I could feel myself starting to use more and more. But the more and more I used, the better I felt. That depression, that sadness, like, hey, I'm missing my guys, went away. And in my brain, you know, in the, in the mental wellness, mental illness game, I thought I was doing great. I thought I was being present for my kids. And really, I wasn't. And so I started making some big mistakes, brother. I mean, I wanted that I wanted that chaos in my life again. I wanted that nitro circus feel. I wanted that like excitement. I hope that kind of makes sense. And for yeah, for people who, especially athletes, you know, we come out. I mean, you're you're atop your game, your lights, and you're running on the field, and you want that again. And so for me, it was like, man, I I miss that. I miss game time. And now now here I am. Who am I? And so the more and more I used, the more and more I, I took risky behaviors, uh, had affairs, was doing the whole sexting thing to, to girls while I'm married. I mean, just like really, really bad behavior. And I, and I can't blame it on the opioids. I mean, it played a vital role in it. But the more and more I took, man, it, it made me feel better. It, it, calmed, it calmed my nerves, if that makes sense. I know you have some questions. Go ahead. No, that's that's totally good. I'm I'm unboxing a few things in my own head here. Um, it sounds like the the parallel with that, and like you mentioned, Max Hall and other athletes, is the identity crisis that you fall into when when the game or 
in your case, in the job, the profession, the career ends. And it's, and for a lot of them, I think with athletes, with anybody, and especially in your situation, you see this in the military a lot too. Sometimes it doesn't end the way you wanted it to end. It ends abruptly. And so it's not like you had this like time to prepare. And so this identity crisis hits. Um, so that's one thing I would like to talk about a little bit too, but then also talking about, you know, you started finding ways to get that chaos. I think that's interesting. And it's a perspective that people need to see, because there's a lot of people out there. I know it for a fact that they'll see like different individuals struggling with addictions of any kind. And they'll wonder why do they do that? They're stupid. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? But the fact that you mentioned, you know, you wanted the chaos again, you wanted to feel good. You wanted to be able to do that. That gives you a different perspective. So I hope those people who are listening can take notes on that. Um, that's the biggest thing. Like understand there's a perspective there of why, you know, Brock was doing this when, when he had his identity crisis, you know, you, you just told us that. Um, but the identity crisis itself, Brock, I want to kind of talk, talk about that for a second. Do you think that there's anything you could have done looking like hindsight? It's always 2020, but looking back, is there anything you could have done to not like, I guess, to prepare yourself for like the after career, the post career, even if it was abrupt, like, is there anything you could have done or how do you even prepare? How does an athlete prepare? How does somebody like yourself prepare for that? That's a great question. And I don't think anybody's solved that mystery yet. You know, I train, I know in the NFL, they do some transition, you know, they do some yeah. exit strategies with their players. I know MLB does it as well. So they're, they're doing a better job, but for me, man, it was so abrupt. And, and what was crazy was I look in my life. I had a beautiful wife. I have beautiful kids. My, I was living my religion. I was doing everything. You know, I felt like I was at the top of my game, but as soon as it was gone, it almost knocked the wind out of me. And I wasn't prepared. My wife wasn't prepared. We had no coping skills. We had no transitional living skills. The money was still coming in, but I was living on that. This tells you how old I am. I was living on that pager. As soon as that pager would go off, man, I, I was gone. And I, I didn't have anymore. I had nothing to feel that chaos. And so my mind just raced. And so even if I'd had some, I needed something to fill my time up mentally. That is so interesting, man. And I, I'm so glad you're saying that because there's probably people listening to this, myself included, that we battle with addiction of some sort, but like the identity crisis is such a huge piece. I want people to understand that's where it stems from. Like just the boom, all of a sudden that's taken away from you. You, you mentioned knock the wind out of you, you know, like if anyone's ever felt that before and they're like a physical knocking the wind out of you, like it's, it sucks. It's not, it's uncomfortable and it catches you off guard. Um, and it, and sometimes it's easy to catch your breath. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes, you know, obviously in your situation, you're trying to find ways to, to cope with that. You know, Brock, a question I have for you is in the midst of, you know, starting to, to medicate with the opioids. And then you said you started taking more and more the process did at what point did you realize that it was a problem? Was it when you started, you know, having the additional issues, you know, that you had mentioned, uh, you know, the affairs, the the conversations and so forth with other um, individuals outside of your marriage? Or was it like before that, that you realized, like, do you feel like your mental, like you just stopped caring um, to get to that point where you were doing other things? Like what, when did you realize there was a problem there? When I got divorced. I think that was a huge blow for me when I no longer had my kids in my life as, you know, as a divorced parent, I had them every other weekend. I had to drive up to get them a three hour trip. And so that kind of like, I'm like, man, this is, this sucks. This is kind of bottom for me, you know, but, but 
here's what I need people to understand. I was so good at manipulation and lying. I had been trained by the best people. I worked undercover. I bought and sold drugs. I lied to buy drugs. I lied and and I had fake cover stories. Uh, let me give you an example. This is this is hilarious. I knew nothing about AA, nothing. But one of the guys on my team knew about AA and he comes in one day and he gives me these chips, right? People who in AA understand the one month chip, the 24 hour chip, the one year chip, the 10. And he's like, Hey man, if anybody ever asks you to use, you know, if you're in a bar and you you're doing a buy bust or something, they're like, Hey, we want you to use, just tell them, Hey man, you're, you're in recovery and put the chip on the table. Say, Hey, look, man, I just got my year chip. I can't jeopardize that. This is mostly financial for my family. So here I am lying, covering my story with an AA, you know, cover story. And I used that. There was a couple of times where I was like, hey, man, I, I would throw that down and say, hey, look, I'm in, I'm in recovery. And it was no big deal. The guy's like, cool. And so I was, I was really good at manipulation. So even if anybody suspected it, I was able to talk my way out of it. Yeah. But what I couldn't talk around were my behaviors and that's what led to my divorce that's what led to this just dark place that i went into and i realized i had a problem uh the day i hit rock bottom up to that point i really didn't because i justified it but the day i hit rock bottom is i got up out of bed went into my medicine cabinet opened it up and and took a pill drank some water, put it back. And when I shut the cabinet, it gave me a glimpse into my life, into my room. And I'm looking through this mirror into my room and I'm like, bro, Rock, you live in a crack house. My house, my room was destroyed. So dirty and nasty, but yet my medicine cabinet, perfect. All the pills were in line. I knew how much I had. And uh, Shane right there, dude, A-type personality, I was pissed. Ripped that door, grabbed every pill bottle, and dumped them all in the toilet. Wow. Then I knew I was screwed. That right there was the biggest blessing and biggest mistake I made in recovery. Uh, not the way to do it. You, you don't want a cold turkey off opioids. But I made my bed, man. I dumped them in the toilet. I had no more pills anywhere. And I remember, man, if I had scuba diving equipment, I would have dove down in there. I would have pulled it, any pill yeah. I could have, you know. But I just at that point said, you know what, dude? You've been running from this a long time. It's time to nut up. It's time to get off these things. Let's go. And that's when my hell began, man. That's where seven days of just straight hell hit me to to overcome. But in, in that seven days, uh, this is what I want people to understand. It was, it was the worst pain that I've ever gone through in my life. I would rather you taser me. I would rather be shot. I would rather be pepper sprayed over and over and over than to have to go through a withdrawal again from opioids. My, my bones were feeling brittle. I felt like I was thrown up so many times that Shane, I felt like my backbone was going to come out my mouth. Like literally, wow. My skin felt like it was just sloughing off. It was so, it was on fire or it was freezing cold. I was defecating on myself, urinating myself, throwing up. 
And it just was, it was a miserable experience, man. And on the third day, I remember, I mean, you're, you're a, a religious man. I remember I started making a, an agreement with God. Okay, God, here we go. Listen to me, man. If you just let me get out of this bathroom and take this from me, I'll never use again. And I heard him talk to me saying, Brock, you have no idea what you're in for. You haven't even begun this, right? If I let you get out, you're going to go take a pill. You're going to feel better. And then you're going to just continue with the process. You're never going to get off. And I was like, oh my gosh, this dude, here's my, God knows what I'm thinking. He's talking to me. And so right there, I made that commitment. Okay. As long as it takes. And so back in the shower, back on hot water, cold water, freezing cold, hot, throwing up. And uh, on the seventh day, man, he gave me the power. I'm like, okay, I'm surrendering. I'm yours. What do you want from me? And I knew that I had a bigger purpose. I think we all have a purpose. And my purpose was not to be a drug addict. And so he lifted me off the floor, man. And it was go time. And it just gave me an opportunity to pivot my life. And that was the biggest blessing. So that's when I knew that I was full-blown addiction. Man, that is powerful. That is super powerful. I'm I'm sitting here just trying to put myself in your position. Uh, from some of myself, I've never had a, a, a problem with drugs or anything of that nature, but I can imagine, having heard from you, what it was like. And I'm sure there's people who are listening who can relate to some form, right? That seven days, that is absolutely brutal. And it gets me thinking, you know, Brock, addiction, I mean, your body becomes so used to a certain way of like what you're taking in and this is the same with just nutrition but if you're using you're using drugs that's the, the the concept too and i wonder sometimes if that's why people just don't want to get off of them a lot of people might not be willing to go through that seven days or whatever it takes because that sounds absolutely terrible and because of that pain you know it's a it's a cycle that goes through back and forth like they they stop for a couple of days. It gets too tough. So they retake it, you know, just to kind of reset their body and they go through the cycle and then they end up getting depressed. And that's where suicide starts coming. And you start seeing some of these issues with athletes doing it, but you see with anybody who's battling with depression and, and coming off drug use, you know, I guess I'd like your thoughts there. Um, having been there, do you think that's something that, you know, former athletes, former like people like yourself, military men, anybody who's battling with addiction, are they just too, like, does it, is it too hard for them to get off of the cycle? Dude, those, that's a phenomenal question. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. Number one, opioids can kill you from detox and cold turkey. There, there is actually a process now where you can go to the hospital. They can wean you off the opioids. They can give you, they can give you other drugs to, to help with that. Now, with that, most people don't want to admit they have a heroin problem. Most people don't, don't want to admit they have an opioid problem. So they're walking this fine line like I was walking, right? If, if I tell somebody I have an opiate addiction, they're going to want me to get help. But I want to get help, but I can't get help because it hurts too bad. I've tried it before. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, the reason I don't use opioids today, first reason is I made a commitment to God. When he let me out of that shower, that was it. I was done, done. But the second thing is, is straight up fear, of going back and ever detoxing again. I mean, legitimately scares the hell out of me. And I think, just like you said, it's a scary disposition because addicts have tried it before. Nobody wants to wake up and be an addict. Please understand that. It's because we have this chemical hook and we are addicted to it. Now, can we stop? Absolutely. 
Okay, that's that's a that's another another question. But the fear of going through that pain scares a lot of people off. And so that I mean to answer your question, yes and yes, people are scared to do it. And if if they're willing to do it, they have to expose themselves and say, hey, I got a bigger problem that I'm letting on. Man, that is tough. You know, I, I talked to you on the phone, Brock, before this is probably last week, but a couple of years back, I spoke to a guy named David Irving. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. He was a defensive lineman. He ended up actually retiring from the NFL to um, promote his own cannabis uh, company that he had started. And that was kind of like the discussion of um, our, that was the point of our discussion, but he discussed with me the, the, the drugs that they were prescribing them as, as athletes at that level. And he said, you know, after literally every single game, these defensive linemen, I mean, you're smashing heads on heads of other 300 pound linemen. Uh, he goes, my hands are broken. My fingers are all disjointed. He goes, I couldn't walk like every single game. It would take me hours to get off the floor in the locker room. Cause my back hurt so bad. And he goes, people will never understand that pain unless you're like at that level of, of athletics. And what he was talking about was you go over there, they won't let you smoke marijuana because it's against the league rules at the time, but they would just prescribe this, that, and the third. And that the discussion then stemmed into a, a further conversation, a deeper conversation in regards to athletes all across the board are getting or having these problems that you were just mentioning right there, but no one wants to talk about those problems. And you don't really see those issues come out until after their playing days are over. The NHL, um, you know, obviously they, they've had some big time problems with drugs, but like the NFL, especially we've seen some big time athletes battling mental health issues that stem from addiction after their playing days are over. And what I'm learning from you is, you know, that identity crisis hits and they are trying to figure themselves out and there's just a lot going on in their heads. So obviously the answer would be don't use them at all. But in a situation though, Brock, I want your, your your insight here, having been through it yourself, if you're an athlete right now, especially at the next level where they're prescribing these types of medications for you, which you could easily get addicted to because it's at unlimited amounts, it almost seems. If you're one of those players and that's the option that you're given, what is your advice? I mean, can you, do you think that you could possibly utilize these medications reasonably, you know, and be good with them once the prescription's done? You don't have to go get any more. Like, what advice would you give these people? Absolutely. There's men and women all over the place. Johan Hari, I don't know if you know him. He he gave a big uh, speech about everything you thought you knew about addiction was wrong. And he talks about he talks about this a little bit. Not everybody's addicted to heroin. Like some people go to the hospital, they can break a leg, blow their break a femur, get prescribed opioids, go through the 21 days of of the prescription and then they can get off. And they have no problem. They don't ever want to go back and do it. But people like me that have a chemical hook to it cannot do that. I'm telling you, and I always joke about this, but if you give me an opioid today, by next week, I'm living in Africa naked in some dude's tent. Like, that's it, bro. I can't control it. I don't know what happens, but it just screws my life up. And that's a true story, man. Like, I can't do it. So guys like me, if, if you're predisposed to it, I wouldn't do it, man, because most do not have self-regulation. Most addicts carry one gene that's the same, one character flaw, and that's self-regulation. 
if you put one opiate or 50 opiates in front of us, we're taking all of them. But you, you might be able to take one opioid and then four hours later, take another opioid until your pain's gone. Then you're like, hey, I don't need this stuff anymore. But if, man, I would just make sure that you're seeking medical advice. If you're able to follow the prescription, great. It's used for a time. It is a pain blocker. That's what they're for. But but a lot of dudes can't handle it. Not a lot of women can't handle it. And especially now with this fentanyl, dude, 100,000 people died in 2021. I don't know if you saw that new stat, I overdose. Thought. It's ridiculous, man. It's like, it's it's a pandemic and people are not even talking about it. 100,000 people in wow. one year. That is crazy. You know, and I and I wonder like, for example, I'll, I'll use I'll use a professional athlete for an example here. Let's say they might not know, like maybe they've never been injured their whole life, and they go and they're playing professional athletics, and and they suffer an injury or they don't realize how demanding it is on the body. They might not know that they're an addict or they have that chemical hook, as you say, um, until they start taking them. I, I wonder if that's the case too, because I had never taken anything until uh, 2016 when I tore my shoulder, Brock. So I was like 28 at the time tore my shoulder out lifting weights. And at that time I was like, Oh, and they gave me, um, all my prescription drugs to get through the surgery and all that stuff. And I'll be real. Like I must be a completely different person. Cause I remember sitting on the couch watching breaking bad, which was a mistake in and of itself at two in the morning, <laughs> just high as a kite. Cause I'm taking my medicine. Just, I had my oxy, I had everything that was going on and I'm sitting there watching breaking bad, which just it, my head was in a weird space. And I remember feeling sick and just lethargic and sitting there. And I'm like, I specifically said, I said, I don't have any clue how these people that are like, I, I had very close acquaintances that battle with addiction. And I said, I don't know how any of them could take this for fun. I really didn't understand it. I was just like, this is awful. My head was in a completely different space, but it also gave me a new perspective of to what that does to your mental health. Tell me real quick on the mental health side of things, addiction, how does that mess with your mental health? People don't realize that when I say that people are like, Oh, does it just make you anxious? Like you start thinking too much or what does that even mean? But I can tell you right now, I just from that couple of weeks of being on that after my surgery, like my mental health took a massive dive. So when I was done with my prescriptions, I was done with those because I was just trying to get myself out of a funk. But from your experience, how did the addiction actually affect your mental health? Not just your physical and you lost your marriage and so forth that all stemmed from that, but your mental health. I want to know that. That's cool, man. What a, what a, what an intriguing question. First of all, most people will ask me what came first, right? Is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the addiction that came first or your mental health came first? Right. And, and really it doesn't matter, but they they play on each other. They play a role. Think about, think about someone that's depressed. They're taking antidepressants and drinking alcohol. <laughs> alcohol is a depressant. So now all those feelings you have are starting to surface. And that's why you see drunk people crying all over the place. You're right. You've seen these crazy, you know, like, what is this guy doing? He's like, because that's what's happening. And so for me, man, I just never felt normal. Like in my playing days, that was like the best time of my life. I felt good. My mind was so clear. But the biggest thing I had with my mental was brain fog. Man, I could not think. And I was like, yes, I'm making the right decisions. Man, did I get to my kid's soccer game? Am I supposed to be there on where, what weekend? Man, 
it just like made my inhibition go down to a zero. And it, it, what screwed with me was it killed my moral compass. And that's what affected my mental illness the most is because I'm like, listen, I know who I am as an individual. I know how I'm supposed to be living. I know I'm a strong believer in God, but the drugs and the mental illness was totally pulling me from that. And so that's where I was struggling with. I know who I am, but I can't act like that dude. Totally. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to everything you're saying right there. I think whether it's gambling, whether it's drugs, whether it's pornography, whether it's an addiction to just the gaming, like you're just playing games on your phone, whether it's any of that, it pulls. I love that. I love that you mentioned the moral compass. It doesn't matter what religion people are. I happen to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, but I can tell you right now, addiction happens regardless of religion or anything. That's a humanity thing. It's it happens to human beings, and what happens is like it pulls you away. We have certain standards we live by, right? And if you're addicted to something, it pulls you away from that, which causes a lot of stress and anxiety because you can't be that person that you're wanting and you're striving to be. And then eventually it pulls you, you got to choose one side or the other. Like eventually it'll pull you so far away that you snap. And so it's like a rubber band. It's just pulling, pulling, pulling. You have this conflict and boom, it goes. Yeah. And uh, it can be a problem. So I, I'm glad you mentioned the moral compass side of things. That's actually really interesting, man. It's crazy. So here's something too. I have a friend of mine, um, it's interesting. He he was my best friend growing up from the time I was six years old to the time I was 18. I left to serve a mission for my church. And while I was on my mission, that individual, he wasn't a member of our church, but that individual ended up getting arrested. And I remember hearing from my mother in an email, because um, back then when I served a mission um, for our church, you had to send emails. You didn't get to Skype everybody every yep, single yep. week. It's ridiculous now. But anyway, so... They're soft, bro. Those yes. missionaries are soft. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's like, what in the world? My son's time? on a mission in Anaheim, and I'm like, dude, you're cotton soft, bro. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Get it. Well, I mean, I'm sure the families don't mind getting a, a yeah. met, like video of them every week, but I'm like, dang, dude, it's a different world we're living in. Um, <laughs> so he, my mom sends me an email, and she says, you know, so-and-so got arrested for armed robbery. And I was like, what? And uh, it was a is a, a pharmacy right down the street from us. And I come to find out, you know, years later, after I've spoken to him just within the last year and a half, as he's finally out of prison, have you, um, you know, what it was all about. And he explained to me, Brock, his whole cycle of, of life from the time he was like 16 up till the time he was almost 19 years old when he got arrested. He started with opioids. Um, and then he explained to me he had gotten onto heroin because it was cheaper, but he could get the same high. Um, so he's finding, and he was out of money. He didn't have any money because he was, he was stealing drugs because he had no money. He didn't have a job. So he was like, there was, how do you pay for him? Well, you either rob somebody or he was explaining the whole issue that he was getting into to, um, just feed his addiction. And then he got into heroin. He said, it was almost like, you know, they call it the gateway stuff. Like people want to say, that's not true. It is. Totally. He's like, it's a gateway. So he gets into heroin and then he went into a pharmacy to rob it. And he didn't know anybody was there and he had a gun with him and a lady popped up from the front counter and rest is history. He actually never spent a day as a free man in all of his twenties because he, he got off twice on parole and violated probation, mm. um, with a drug test and went back. So never once in his twenties, did he ever get to spend a, a birthday as a free man? So he always, every one of his 20 year old birthdays, all the way up till he was 30, he was, he was in prison. And so he finally got out and I was able to discuss this with him and it's, it's opened my eyes to this, but in your experience, even from yourself or even with those you've been around, maybe like Max, I don't know. I don't know what we can talk about. It's his life. But anyone that you've been around, 
um, you know, the, 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 I guess the scaling up to the next step in the value ladder, if you will, from the drug side of things, how often does that actually happen? Every time. Every time. I, mine was an anomaly. I mean, honestly, I never had to pay for drugs. I had an open pharmacy. I was a police officer, right? I go on the, and I had multiple surgeries. My doctor, I had a, I had a hand surgeon, a foot surgeon, and a knee, three doctors. I could doctor shop. But uh, and I'm going to I'm going to give you an opportunity. I think Max Hall would be a phenomenal guest for you. He's one of my best friends. So I'm I'm throwing him under the bus to you, Shane, because he is. <laughs> yeah, because he's such a great dude. But I mean, everybody that we talk to, I own my own recovery program. So I've worked with thousands of men and women. And it's the same thing, man. Uh, it doesn't matter. Everybody used to say marijuana was a gateway. It's not any drug you use. You always want to get a bigger high. You hear about that chasing the dragon with heroin. Your first high is like the most elite, phenomenal high. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to get that. You can never get it. Imagine that chaos. Like, okay, this time's going to be it. Nope, this time's going to be it. And so we just keep, then you start mixing drugs. You, you like John Belushi, where you speedball, where you have a, where you have an upper and a downer together. And it's like, we do crazy things to get high. And so- we always, we always elevate the drug system in our lives. So interesting, man. And it, but that's given us perspective as to why people battle with that. They want that next thing because you never, you want to get to that point. But you, like you said, you, like you very rarely do you ever get back to that. Like, and, and so you just fight that battle going forward, going forward, going forward. So talk to us, Brock. I want to know then from, you were able to cut it out. Um, but I want to know what services you're providing and and how you're helping people now, knowing what you know, uh, you know, practicing what you preach, so that ultimately people can trust you. Like, what what are you got going on so that we can find these resources? Because I know you've got resources. I know you're providing help to those out there. So talk to us about what services you provide. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for giving me that platform. You know, I I run a recovery program, telemed, just like I'm doing here, where I have men and women. It's coaching. Basically, that's all I'm doing as I'm helping people go through the process, identifying their addiction cycle and uh, helping them overcome opioids, any drugs and pornography. And you can you can search it under uh, the stripling warrior challenge dot com. I have that. And then I have the chase the vase challenge. These are just little challenges that I throw. It's a 30 day, a five day. I have a six months. It, it's just what you need. You know, whatever you need in your life, if there's something that I can give you that Max can give you. Blue, we have an Agents of Recovery podcast where we work together with men and women. Whatever we can do, we just want to show you that there's hope and we can heal. That's it. I love that. And I like the idea of a challenge. So for those listening, my full-time job, I run a challenge for a company called ClickFunnels. Um, so I'm I'm a firm believer in like the, the challenge terminology and the system that you can put together courses together for that. I think it's the best way to not only learn, but like implement those things into your life. So the fact that you're running those is huge for those who want to know, like those types of things, like a challenge for your specific need is such an impactful and efficient and effective way of learning. I, I think that's rad Brock. So you, you mentioned, okay, chase the vase challenge is what you said. Yep. And then the chase stripling the warrior challenge. It's called uh yeah, it's stripling warrior challenge.com. And they can go on there and learn about it. I, we actually are going to start doing a husband and wife challenge where we get your, my wife and I meet your, you and your wife. And we just, we help each other out. 
So oh, I'm pretty. I, we I've never seen that out there, but I think it would be a cool, especially when you're battling pornography and and sex addictions. That's such a big one. Um, so I know the focal point of the conversation we were talking about, like opioids, like drug use and so forth. But pornography is such a huge thing out there. Some people, it. I think what's funny, Brock, and I don't mean to like break this off into a whole other conversation, but I do think it's it's important. Even athletes, it doesn't matter. But pornography is an addiction. Um, some people might not, it, it, based on their maybe their cultural or religious backgrounds, they might not consider it a problem. Um, but it is, it still is a problem because it affects you. Can you talk to us about that? Cause I do want to talk about that because as an athlete, they might be so focused on the drug side of things, but there's a lot of addictions out there that you got to be weary of and how that affects you. So maybe your experience there and how you're helping people with pornography, how does pornography addiction affect you? And how, how do you even know if you have a problem? Yeah. My, my opiate addiction lasted 10 years. My pornography addiction, sex addiction started when I was eight years old and ended when I was 42. So if, if you Powerful. can do the math, I struggled. I'm, I'm Dude, I'm an A-type personality. I want to fight everything. I think I am mentally tough. I can overcome anything. When it came to pornography, it was the hardest challenge. It was the hardest addiction to overcome. And it was because it was so mental. I used pornography as medication. And I'm going to tell you how sick I was. There were times in my marriage that I would get in a purposeful fight with my wife so I could leave and use pornography. Wow. If that's not, if that doesn't, if that doesn't mess with your head, but that's how deep I was, man. That's, I couldn't see it. So if I was happy, use pornography. If I was angry, use pornography. If something amazing happened at work, come home, use pornography. It's like, that was my reward system. And that's how I started training myself from an eight-year-old. And so I had to learn how to break all those habits. And that's where it is. And so what we do is we help you identify what your cycle looks like, what your habits look like, where, where your reward cycle. And so we just break it down and really put it in paper so you can make a covert, right? You can make a plan to beat it. Because if you don't make a plan, it ain't you ain't beating it, bro. You are not just going to say one day, okay, I'm stopping. Bull crap, you're lying to yourself. That is so awesome that you said that, though. And I, and I appreciate your vulnerability with that and sharing that because so many people have, they battle this and it's it's a fight. And the reward system is something that I just took note on what you said that you were kind of using it as a reward system. For those out there who have that problem, what I see too, like, I mean, are you using it as a reward system? Think about that. Like, I think so many people, especially myself and other people who can relate to this, that's, I maybe ne never like, use that terminology, but that's what it is. I think well, you eat, that. right? Think about this. So mine was pornography and masturbation. Let's be real. I'm going to be a man here. I'm going to tell you that's what it was, but what's the difference between overeating? What's the difference between gambling? And so we just, it's just a different word. It's still getting the same dopamine dump when you, you know, so yeah, that's what, that's what you got to break down. Totally. Totally. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's so, so insightful, man. So powerful too. And if we we're going to tie this back into the, the sports world, I think what's important too here is self-discipline. So as we wrap up the conversation, Brock, I kind of want to talk about this because whether it's an addiction of gambling, like you said, whether it's overeating, whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, self-discipline is such a, a major piece in all of that. 
And that stems into your, your athletic career that stems into your post-athletic career. And if you don't build those healthy habits now, you don't have those, that self-discipline now, it's obviously going to show later on and probably magnify itself. So how much does self-discipline play a factor and how do you even work on that? Is it just about breaking the cycles? Is that what you guys are helping with? Man, what I, what we train is do hard things, right? So, so what I do is I script everything. I talk to my brother, right? Every NFL coach in it, every college coach, they script five plays. I script my days. So I'm going to do the hardest thing in the morning. I get up every day at 420. It doesn't matter if it's a holiday or not. I get up, I get dressed, I go to the gym. Bar none. My wife's like, dude, it's a holiday. Why are you going? Because that's what I do. I do the hardest things in the morning to where those hard things become the easy things. Getting up at 420 is no longer hard for me because that's my next hard thing, right? And so the next thing is, what's what's the next hard thing in your life? Relationships. Figure it out. Go to work on those until they become the easy things. And so for us, we tack the difficult. The Navy SEALs talk about embracing the suck, right? We all have those things in our lives that suck. The reason we don't want to overcome opioids, it sucks. The reason you want to come and, and lose weight, it sucks. You don't want to stop pornography, it's hard. So you think about it, go attack those hard things, and then little by little, dude, you're going to chip away and win. Oh, I freaking love it, man. So powerful. We're going to put the links here in the description of all the stuff you've got going on, Brock. So I'll make sure they are in here for the listeners. Make sure you click those links if you guys are interested in uh, seeing what Brock can can do for you guys with the services he's providing. Um, and uh, your podcast. Tell us where we can find those. You've talked, you've referenced different podcasts. So I want to make sure we we have those here in the description as well. Yeah, just like my business name is Chase the Vase. And then I I do a, a team podcast with Max Hall, Blue Robinson, who's a therapist. It's called The Agents of Recovery. Check them out, man. Just like you, dude, we're all just trying to better people. And I appreciate you, man. You're a good dude, Shane. Seriously, good vibe. Dude, I, I dig it, Brock. Thank you. And we'll put that in the description as well. Make sure to go check those out. Guys, this is something that affects everybody, athletes or not. This is such an important conversation that doesn't need to be you know, under the rug anymore. We need to open that up and have these conversations, but do so in a respectful way to where people are okay having them. I think people are scared. And now we, we, we get to see Brock's personality of like, okay, here we are, but we're here to better people. We're here to help them out and provide values. It's super awesome. I appreciate your time, Brock. Thanks, this has been brother. a fun conversation, man. Yeah, so thank man. you so appreciate much for joining you. the show. Thanks, dude. Appreciate you, man. Have a good one. You do the same. For everybody out there, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.